0: One of my constant prayers is for God to search my heart, show me anything in my life that is not pleasing to Him, anything that hinders my relationship with Him, my, my usefulness to Him. And, and God has always answered that prayer, but here lately He has been answering it in a way that, I, not surprising uh, in that I'm surprised He answered it, but surprising in the things that He's bringing to my mind. These are issues, honestly, I guess I would say, I either didn't recognize them as serious, sinful issues, or I would have said I had them under control. And one of the issues that has been brought to my mind repeatedly recently is the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to talk about tonight, which the King James translates as long-suffering. Other translations, will, you'll see, will have it as patience. Uh, and and they're, they're essentially the same. It's the same word in the Greek translated in different ways. These long-suffering patience has never really come naturally to me, but I I did think I had developed a great deal of patience or long-suffering, but as it turns out, not really so much. And so part of the reason I think I struggled with this and thought I had it down when I didn't is my idea of what I thought patience or long-suffering was. I, I thought it was what I had in mind was partially correct, and what we'll see tonight is really... The, more, the fuller definition and understanding of it is really quite challenging uh, in our lives. So open your Bibles to Galatians five twenty two and 23. It should be page 893 in your pew Bible. And I'll, I'll read it again and we'll look at the one we're going to look at tonight. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We praise you for your grace and your goodness, your strength, and your kindness. We we love you and we want your will to be done in our lives. We want to be we want to be who you want us to be, and we want to be the way you want us to be. So tonight, as we look at what it is to be long suffering, help us to see where we are, and help us to see where we aren't, and help us to make the changes that are necessary. Let us live a life that would be surrendered to you so that your spirit would produce this in our lives. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Fill me, Holy Spirit, and use me tonight to bring glory to my Father and to be faithful to the Word I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've always understood the idea of long-suffering to basically mean just to patiently put up with people who irritate me. Uh, and, And that is a part of the idea, but it's only a part of what it means. In the King James Bible, the The Greek word that's used here is used 14 times. And of the 14, it is translated as patience twice and long-suffering 12. So I was trying to get an idea, you know, because patience and long-suffering to me carry different ideas of what they are. Uh, And so I was looking at some of the Greek dictionaries I have, and here are two long, long longish definitions. The first one was patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness. Perseverance, especially as shown in bearing troubles and ills. Right? So it is enduring hardships, to keep on keeping on in the face of difficulties. The second was patience, forbearance, long suffering, slowness in avenging wrongs. Right? So that one, one deals with how we, really just how we live for Jesus. And the other deals with how we live among other people. And if you just think about the definitions, to me those, the implications of those two definitions is, is fairly convicting about what it means and how we're to live. If I were to sum it up, I would say that when the Holy Spirit produces long-suffering in us, we will patiently put up with other and difficult people. We will be slow to act out in anger. We will persevere in our faithfulness and devotion to Jesus without giving up or giving in, no matter what kind of opposition we face. I find that really challenging. All of that is very, very difficult, I think. At least, again, for me. Now, there are three general truths about long-suffering that we need to know so that we can understand what it is that we're supposed to look like. The first is that that God is long-suffering. Now this first part is. It is really kind of both encouraging. And challenging. Right? It's encouraging. Because the fact God is long suffering. It means he puts up with us. Which is a good thing. I'm glad God puts up with us. God's long suffering. As it's revealed in scripture. It provides really two basic benefits for humanity. The first is it prevents him from pouring out his wrath upon us. The second is it provides more and more opportunities for people to repent of sins and be saved. Right? So think about like Peter. Peter says that Jesus right, is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. That's why He's delayed His coming. Right? So the long-suffering of God means that, one, the moment we sin, He doesn't bring His wrath and His justice down upon us. It also means that, that He gives us each day Each moment, time and time and opportunity and opportunity to turn to Him in repentance and faith and be saved. Now every person alive on the planet today has benefited from the long suffering of God. Right now there are unbelieving sinners in the world that reject God and speak against Him, take no thought of Him, live in rebellion against God's will and God's want for their lives. And yet they have not been brought into judgment for that sin, for that unbelief, for that rebellion. They are given more and more opportunities to hear the gospel, to believe in Jesus and be saved. That is God's long-suffering toward them. For us that are believers, we once lived that way. We once lived in rebellion and unbelief and unconcern about God's will and God's want for our lives. And because of the long suffering of God, we were given opportunity after opportunity until one day we did repent of our sins. We did believe in Jesus Christ. So everyone has benefited. Now, when we think about God's long suffering, it is easy enough to put it on a scale in the way that our the way that would coincide with our long suffering. Right? Because again, I, I would have said before God began to deal with me this that I was long suffering. And yet when I look at what Scripture says about how God is long suffering, I realize I am not even remotely long suffering. Right, so I want us to look at a passage that gives us this great picture of how God is long suffering. And it's Nehemiah 9, uh, page 9, or I'm sorry, 377. We are going to turn there because we're going to look at most of the chapter. It's a familiar chapter. We went through Nehemiah a few years ago. And we have spent, I think I've preached Nehemiah 9 three or four different times just as sermons on their own. And of course the story is the people have re, they have rebuilt the walls, they are recommitting themselves to God, re-establishing their covenant with God. And as they do, they, they take some time and they remind themselves about Who God is and what God has done. And we're not going to look at anything in depth. We just don't have time, but we're going to look at quite a bit quickly. Right? So in verse 5 and 6, we're reminded about who God is. The Levites, and I'm not going to try to read their names, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, and all their hosts, and the earth, and all things therein, the seas, and all that is therein. And thou hast preserved them. All and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. And it's just a reminder. God is great and awesome creator of all. Worthy of our praise. They then began to list some of the things God had done. God called Abraham. And made a covenant with him. Verse 7 and 8. Thou art the Lord God who didst choose Abraham. And brought him forth out of Ur of the Chaldeas. And gave him the name Abraham. And foundest his heart faithful before thee. Made a covenant with him. To give the land to the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Gigasites. To give it, I say, to his seed. And thou perform thy words, for thou art righteous. Right? So God called Abraham. God promised Abraham something. And God did what Abraham, or what he promised for Abraham to do. Then in verse 9, it jumps a significant period of time and remembers God delivering them out of Egypt. And did see the afflictions of thy Father, of our fathers in Egypt, and heard us their cry at the Red Sea, showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and upon all his servants and all the people of the land. For thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them, so thou didst get a name as it is to this day. thou says divide the sea before them. So they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, their persecutors. Thou threwest into the depths as stone into the mighty waters. Moreover thou ledest them by day in a cloudy, cloudy pillar, and at night by a pillar of fire, to give them light. In the way in which they should go. So God called them. Delivered them out of Egypt. Right then as God delivered them out of Egypt. In verse 13 through 15. Talks more about God's provision for them. He came down. He spoke. He gave them the law. He gave them bread from heaven. Water from a rock. And notice here. The first instance where things are starting to go bad. Here's what Israel did. But they and our fathers. Verse 16 dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commands, refused to obey. Neither were they mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, hardened their necks and they rebelled and pointed a cap to turn to their bondage. Right? So despite all that God had done and all that God had done to provide for them and all of his great wonders that he had shown to them, they forgot about them. And forgot doesn't mean that they didn't remember like, oh, I forgot that happened. It's just that they said that's not important Any longer. They hardened their neck. And when it talks about hardening their neck. The picture is they won't bow. Right. When you have a stiff neck. You can't bend it. And they can't bend. They would not bend their necks. In submission to God. They refused to bow down. They did what they wanted to. Despite all that God had done for them. But look at what it goes on to say in verse 17. But thou art a God ready to pardon. Gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Great in kindness. And forsook them not. Right. So. God did all of this. They turned from God. God had every reason and every right to turn from them. But because of his character, because of his long suffering, he did not. How did they repay that? Verse 18. Yea, when they had made a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt and wrought great provocations. So God was merciful to them and they repaid God's mercy by making and worshipping a golden calf and said, This is what God is like. And the, I like the idea great provocations. They did all of this to provoke God to anger. How did God respond? Verse 19. Yet in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from them by day. Lead them in the way neither the pillar of fire by night to show them the light. And the way by where, whereby they should go. Thou gavest them thy good spirit to instruct them and withholdest not thy manna from their mouth and gave us them water for their thirst, yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness that they lackest nothing and their clothes waxed not old and their feet swelled not. So they rebelled and yet God did not forsake them. God did not abandon them in His long suffering. He continually was kind to them, provided for them, did all the things that He was going to do. Then you look at verse 22 through 25 and it talks about God giving them the land of the people. Uh, so God... And, and, the, and keep in mind, we, we think of the Israelites as these great warriors because of the battles that we find in Numbers and in Joshua. But keep in mind, they had spent 400 years as slaves. Right? Slaves are not typically taught to war. They left without military skill, without military might, without military weapons. So their victories are not, wow, the Israelites were awesome warriors. Their victories are... Wow, the Israelites had an awesome God who gave them these victories. So how did they re- respond and repay to God for all the goodness that He had given them? Verse 26, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against Thee, cast Thy law behind their back, slew Thy prophets which testified against them to turn, thee, to t- to turn them to Thee and, and wrought great provocations. Right? So this is the, the judges period. They're in the judges, the people come into the land, they're prospering, God has been good to them, and they become disobedient, they rebel, and I like the picture of cast the law behind their backs. That's just like they said, eh, we don't need that anymore. God has given us this stuff, what are we going to have to do with Him? And so God allowed things to happen. Verse 27, God delivered them in the hand of their enemies, who vexed them, in the time. but in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and according to thy... Manifold mercies, Thou gavest them saviors, the judges, who saved them out of the hands of their enemies. Right, so they rebelled. God allowed them to suffer. They cried out to God for help. God raised up a judge. And they began to prosper again, verse 28. But after they had rest, they again did evil and turned away again. But then at the end of verse 28, yet when they returned and cried unto thee, Thou heardest them from heaven And many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies, and testified against them, that thou mightest bring them again unto thy law. So they they would rebel, and God would hear them when they cried out, and He would send judges, and He would send prophets, and He would do all of this work to turn them to Him. Sometimes they would, and then they would begin to prosper. And again, in verse 29, they dealt proudly, and they went back into that whole cycle of once again uh, rebelling and suffering, and then they would cry out to the Lord and He would come and deliver them. And verse 30 is where we'll stop. And many years didst thou forbear them. Really, that's what he, that was long-suffering. right? He, For His great mercy's sake, verse 31, He did not consume them nor forsake them for thou art gracious and merciful God. Now, just imagine. Okay, We, we know that we're, we're all in here pretty familiar with the story of how... Often they rebel. Now, if, if we were God, if you were God, and these people that you did all of that for continually rebelled against you, at what point would you have said, I'm done. I'm out. No more. For me, I'm just going to be honest, long before verse 30. But... This is is what God is like, though. Now, as people who have experienced the blessings of God's long-suffering, what we see here should bring us great joy. Because the Israelites aren't worse than anybody else that's ever lived in the history of mankind. We may not have done idols and done many of the things that they did, but we have been rebellious like the Israelites did, and we, too, have been recipients of God's grace and God's long-suffering. And that's a good thing, that we can look at this and go, wow, wow. God just is wonderful to me. Then if we're here and maybe we have strayed, we're in the middle of a straying period right now. And the devil always wants us to know and wants us to believe that God has given up on us. And yet what we see is this, that God doesn't tend to do that, does He? I mean, He's still there, still drawing, still working. So that's also pretty awesome. But here's the challenging part. When, when Galatians talks about us being the Holy Spirit producing long-suffering within us, it's what we just looked at. That's the kind of long-suffering that the Holy Spirit seeks to produce in us. Now, I, I find that very, very challenging. That goes against everything in my natural wiring. There, there is nothing in me that wants to bear with people That long. In my own strength. I could not. Even remotely. Produce that kind of long suffering. Toward people. Who would fail me. And sin against me. Over and over again. And yet this is the kind of long suffering. That the Holy Spirit will produce in us. When we are spirit filled. And spirit led. I like this quote by William Barclay. He said if God had been like us. He would have wiped out this world long ago. But He has the patience which puts up with all our sinning and will not reject us. In our dealings with one another, we must reproduce this loving, forbearing, forgiving, patient attitude of God towards one another. This is how we are to be. That's a very challenging picture. So God is long-suffering. Secondly... We cannot walk worthy of Christ without being long-suffering. But now we know we are to, to live for the glory of God. We are to bring glory to Jesus. We are ambassadors for Christ who are called on to represent Jesus in all we say, all we do, at all times in our lives. Which means we must walk in a way that is worthy of Jesus. And Scripture teaches us exactly how we are to walk worthy of Christ. And we looked at this a few weeks ago, so I won't spend much time here. But therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. Um, I, wanted, I was going to skip it since we did look at this a couple of Sundays ago, but for looking at longsuffering, it's worth mentioning that we cannot walk worthy of Christ without being longsuffering in our lives. That right? means we can't give up on our relationships. We can't give up on our devotion to Jesus. We can't give up on our commitment to church. We can't give up on our use of spiritual gifts. We can't give up on seeking to reach someone for Christ. We can't give up in our praying. We, we really we can't give up in pretty much any area of our life. We are meant to be long-suffering. And that forbearing one another is closely connected. Because forbearing, it is what I talked about, putting up with each other's faults. Right? And that, they are two very, very closely connected ideas. When we are long-suffering, we will forbear one another. Right, And so, we as disciples of Jesus, we are meant to be long-suffering. And when we are not, when we are quick to quit or quick to answer, we are not walking worthy of Jesus. And then the final truth about long-suffering is that faithfulness in ministry requires us to be long-suffering. Now, ministry, the basic idea is that we serve Jesus by serving others as ministry. So every, every disciple of Jesus is a minister of Jesus. And, and ministry, serving Jesus by serving people, will have times where it's really easy to do and at times where it is very, very difficult. And the temptation and the difficult periods, it will be to quit. I mean, that's the easiest thing to do. But the easy way is rarely the right way. We demonstrate our faithfulness to ministry not by ministering when it's easy. Because anyone can do that. We demonstrate faithfulness to ministry by keeping on and keeping ministering even when it's hard. The Apostle Paul said it this way. That but in all things, approving, he proved himself as a minister of God in patience, afflictions, necessities, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, and watchings, and fastings. Now, patience there it is basically it's just the same word long suffering and he had endured some of the quite a few things in his service to Christ and in, enduring these things it demonstrated his faithfulness in ministry right? he wasn't a fair weather follower of Jesus he was in it for the good and the bad and and we won't spend much time here but something that's neat to notice is that these difficulties are are kind of broke up into what i guess you would call involuntary and voluntary right involuntary means these things were done to him right in in afflictions but afflictions that's not necessarily things that he did for himself that's what other people inflicted upon him in necessities which meant that he did not have enough to care for his basic needs in life that was Because of his service to Christ, he was doing without food and clothing and things along those lines. He was beaten. uh, He was imprisoned. He was involved in, the the idea of of tumults, is riots. There were riots involved in things that he did. And these were things that happened to him. Not what he chose to do, but he served Jesus. These things were inflicted upon him, and yet he kept on going. Then there are the voluntary things that he did. Uh, there 's the labors and the watchings and the fastings the labor it, it really pictures working but not just working when it 's convenient. It pictures Paul working to the point of exhaustion and really kind of keep on going. He worked till he was mentally physically, and spiritually exhausted he He went till he could not go anymore. Uh, fastings meant he just chose not to eat i mean he, he chose not to eat so that he could spend more time praying or whatever it was he was doing, but he voluntarily went without food. That's a hardship in my world. Um, And then, watchings. Watchings refers to being awake when others were asleep. It could have been he stayed up all night praying. It could have been because of the heavy burden that he carried for the churches that he stayed awake thinking about them. Um, It could have been because of the beatings and things that he took that he laid awake in agony. Uh, But all of we don't know why he stayed awake in these times. We just know that he did. And we know his motivation. He did it because he was a minister of Jesus. He was determined to serve Christ no matter what. That That is a, a picture of the kind of ministry we're supposed to have. Right? And that is very different than what we often see in our world. Right? A lot of times, if somebody, people will serve so long as nobody says anything they don't like. But if somebody says something they don't like, they'll quit. Or if somebody questions what they're going to do, they'll quit. If They have to sacrifice free time or comfort. They'll quit. If they have to do something that, do without something we really like, we will quit. Now, again, this group is probably not among those that do that. Your life is a life of consistently proven faithfulness to Christ. But it is good for us to be reminded that in doing this, that that is what we were supposed to do, that we have been faithful. And so that if we try to help other people, Right, that we, we encourage this kind of faithfulness. I, I, in the army we had a, and it wasn't like a motto, but it was something that they did, especially at basic training was, if you found a soldier that was subpar, a lot of times what you would do is you would give them some sort of responsibility. We called it mess up, move up. And the idea was if they were a slacker soldier, you put them in charge of something, and then they would rise to the occasion, so to speak. Now, as a soldier, I never liked that. I thought that those who got those sort of promotions, they should have been people who proved themselves to be good soldiers. And I think in the church a lot of times we have done that as well, though. What we have done is we have just taken anyone who would volunteer to do something, and, oh, yeah, you'll do it. Um, I can think of a time years ago someone came to me wanting to teach Sunday school. And and their reasoning for it was maybe if I teach, I'll, I'll make myself go ahead and show up and be here for you. And, and we did it. I mean, we, we went ahead and let them teach. And, and they were just as much of a slacker as a teacher as they were as an attender of the church. That is a, a terrible thing. And so, for those of us that have been faithful, we should, when we teach others, we should say this is what faithfulness is faithfulness is serving when it's easy and serving when it's hard. Right? It's not. Oh, well, I don't have anything else to do. I guess I'll do it. No, I'm devoted to Jesus. I'm going to serve Him. So this is the truth about faithfulness that we need to know. So how do we cultivate this sort of faithfulness or this sort of long-suffering in our lives? Well, first we think, then speak. If we had time, we could go through the book of Proverbs And we would see what it says about restraining our anger, controlling our tongue. If you've read through Proverbs, you know it has a lot to say about both of those. And if I could sum it up in two sentences, I would sum it up this way. The wise restrain their anger and control their tongue. The fools do not restrain their anger and do not control their tongues. All in all, what Proverbs teaches us about this is challenging. And the principle behind much of it is, is to think before we act, to think before we speak. Now this is the most, also one of the most practical ways we can be long-suffering to others, isn't it? Right? Because a part of putting up with others is not flying off the handle. It is not. I mean, God's long-suffering means in part that He doesn't just lay the smack down on us when we do something where we deserve that. And so for me to be long suffering to Sarah as my daughter is when she does something that deserves that has that is against our rules that deserves punishment that my first response isn't just to lash out with anger and hateful words as much as I want to because I'm angry right to think and then speak that is long suffering and it's biblical James says Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I mean, you have no idea how many problems in my life could have been avoided simply by obeying this scripture. Can anyone else relate to it? Has anyone else ever gotten angry and just flown off the handle and blah, all over who you were angry at? And did the last part of that verse, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, did that prove true? That what we do in our anger never really makes things right. It never really fixes things. What would have changed it in that moment for me would have been to be long suffering, to wait, to think. How will these words, these are the angry words I feel right now. But is this long term, is this going to be good for me to say these things? Right, because words, once spoken, they really can't be taken back, can they? I mean, you you can say sorry, and people can forgive you, but those words, they're there. And so we we have to be long suffering, and think, okay, I'm angry. This is what I want to say, but I need to listen. I need to be slow to speak and slow to wrath because the words that I'm going to say, the actions I'm going to take in my anger, they are not going to make things right. This is what it looks like to be both wise and long-suffering. Right, so first we think, then speak. Secondly, realize quitting is a choice. This is a, can be a tough truth for many to accept, but it's important. Now, there are probably exceptions to the rule. when you have to quit. But I think in, in most cases, quitting is a choice we make and not something we're forced to do. And I base this off of what Paul said. Paul said, We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Now, Notice that he has a problem, all kinds of problems. Right? I mean, they, problems come in all shapes and sizes, troubled on every side. Right? I've called that pressing problems in the past. And because the picture of problems on every side is that there's just stuff pushing in on him everywhere he looks. You ever felt like that? Have you ever been in a situation where there was no matter where you looked, there was something seemed to press in on you? But then there's confusing problems. He was perplexed. He did not know what to do. Do right? you ever have problems and you don't know what steps to take? You don't know how. You don't. Everything you've tried, everything you can think of, has not worked, and you don't know anything. What to do? I'm reminded of uh, of the king of Israel who had a massive army coming against him, and he laid it out before the Lord, and he said, "Lord, this massive army's coming. We don't have any hope. We can't do anything about it. We don't know what to do. But our eyes." are upon you. I think that's how Paul was when he was perplexed. He had no idea in his natural mind what he should do. He had people problems. He was persecuted. Right? These are problems we have because of, of other people. With Paul specifically, persecution it referred to people making his life hard because of his faith in Jesus. So that would happen. I think with us though, it would also we could just apply it to people problems of any sort. You ever have problems with people? Maybe people that don't like you and they make your life difficult. Maybe people you love that make bad decisions that impact your life. I mean, it doesn't have to be somebody hurting setting out to hurt me or to cause me problems before I have a people problem, does it? If somebody I love is making bad choices, my heart aches. I have a person problem there. And then catastrophic problems. He was struck down or cast down. Now with Paul. It probably very literally meant that people were punching him and knocking him down. But for us, think about it as problems that catch us off guard and knock the wind out of us. Things that are earth-shattering and life-changing. Right? So problems come in all shapes and all sizes, all strengths and all power. But notice with this with Paul also, there is a, a, some sort of a solution. Something he can do to keep going with every problem. Right. So he's troubled... But he's not distressed. He trusts God. But he, he didn't know what to do. And the pressure's mounted on him on every side. But God had never let him down. God had never forsaken him. God had never let him actually be crushed under the pressures that he had faced before. Right? He was perplexed, but he didn't despair. Right? To me, what I take from this is that he did what he knew to do. But right? Paul didn't know what to do about a particular issue, but he knew what to do in other areas of his life. And so he did those things. I think that will happen a lot. Something we... I don't know what to do about this problem, but there's 43 other things. Guess what? I do know what I'm supposed to do with these things. So while I'm waiting on the answer here, I can do what I know to do over here. Right? He was persecuted, but not forsaken. But right? He... He remembered that God was with him. He he did not think, oh, God has abandoned me. These people don't like me, and I have people problems, but I don't have a God problem. And people are going to be problems for us all throughout our life. As long as we are around people, people will be a problem. But we don't have a God problem. God has not left us, God has not forsaken us, cast down, but not destroyed. What I take from that is that Paul just kept going. I mean, as long as there was breath in his body, Paul got up and he kept going. Think about the the story where they took him out and they stoned him till they thought they stoned him to death. And they thought they killed him and they went back in the city. His friends gathered around him and they looked down at him and they thought that he was dead. And Paul woke up and what did he do? Got up and he went right back into the city He encouraged the saints that were there the next morning. He went out to a different place to preach. He did not give up. He found a way to keep moving. When problems knock us down, staying down is largely a choice. Now that doesn't mean that it's wrong to take a break, to catch our breath. Some things are going to knock us for a big loop. And we may need that. But we have to be careful that taking a break doesn't turn into quitting. Get up. And keep going. Each of these solutions, each of what Paul has, is a way for him to not give up. A way for him to press on. He was troubled, but he knew God was still there. God would still work. And what I again, what I take from this is largely, quitting when things get hard is much more of a choice we make than something that is truly thrust upon us. Um, thirdly, want to be long-suffering. And this may sound obvious, but I I wondered about it. Is it possible one of the main reasons people, not us, but other people, aren't long-suffering is because in the end, they just don't want to be long-suffering? Now think about being long-suffering with other people, right, with others. Have you ever heard someone say something like, well, I know I shouldn't have said it, but I was just going to speak my mind. Right? Have you ever heard anybody say something very similar to that? and they, they shouldn't have said it. They knew they shouldn't have, but they just were going to speak their mind as though it were their God-given right about what they needed to do. When yet what we know from Scripture, what we've already looked at is that Speaking our mind is not the God-given thing to do. The God-given thing to do is to be long-suffering, to be hold our tongues. Well, the reality is those people don't want to be long-suffering. They want to speak their mind. They want to tell people off. And until that desire happens, until that desire changes, they will never be long-suffering as God intends them to be. At the same time, when it comes to being long-suffering in, in ministry, Statements like, well, I don't have to put up with this. Or it's not like this is my job. I have better things to do. It's basically displaying that same sort of an attitude. Right? Quitting. I have a right for it to be easy. And when it's not, quitting is my right. And they don't want to be long suffering in ministry. They want it to be easy. They want it to be fun. But when it's hard, they want to quit. And until that desire changes, They will never be long-suffering as God wants them to be. So we have to want to be long-suffering. And then finally, pray. Prayer is always a key to receiving anything from God. Prayer is always a key to our being like Jesus. Uh, I put this whole passage, Colossians, but only because the very first part talks about Paul praying for them. really, the last part... uh, Is our verse. Verse 9. Strengthened with all might. According to His glorious power. And to all patience. And long suffering. With joyfulness. Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Is instructive on how we should pray for ourselves. and pray for one another. But, But notice that Paul's prayer for them. Is they would be strengthened with God's might. So that they would be long suffering. They would not give up. They would not stop they would keep on keeping on but what I like best about this is not just to be prayed that they would be long-suffering but notice the attitude that they would be long-suffering with long-suffering with joyfulness now that is especially big in my mind right because it is one thing to grudgingly gripingly keep on keeping on isn't it but it is something entirely different To keep on with joy. I was thinking about it with Kelly. Kelly will ask me to do something. And if I don't want to do it, I'll say no. And Kelly will say, please. And I'll say, no. She'll say, please. And I'll say, no. And she'll say, please. And I'll say, no. Stacy, please. And I'll say, fine. I'll go do it. And then you know what she says? Never mind, I don't want you to do it now. Right? Why? She doesn't want grudging. I'll do it. She wants me to love her and joyfully go get her a Coke or go to Walmart for her or do whatever it is she's asking me to do. I think it's probably the same way with the Lord. He doesn't want us to trudge along and be miserable in our relationship with Him. He wants there to be joy. So we pray. Because again... All that we've talked about tonight, I can't do on my own. Not naturally. And to do it with joy, I certainly can't do that on my own. And So we have to pray to be strengthened with God's might, with His power, so that we can be long-suffering with all joyfulness. And we can be certain that long-suffering, it is God's will for our lives. He wants us. To be long-suffering. He wants this to be true of us. And He wants us to be long-suffering with joyfulness. So we need to pray. Let's be sure that the words of James are not true of us. You have not. Because you ask. them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You tonight.